Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halix. And this week, joining us in studio is somebody that was actually recommended to us a while ago from somebody who was a guest. Uh, that was Lori Banieris. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mertad Rabar is here with us today, an artist, a designer, and... Uh, basically, what I have read about you to get you before I got you into the studio has got me so fascinated. And then I was just just before we went on air, I was saying, "My dad, you need to hold on. We've got so many questions to ask you. I, I can't wait to ask them all. There's just so much great information. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're Thank really happy a man to have of you many here. talents. Thank you for having me here, yeah. and um, I'll be glad to be on your show and. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to yeah, share my thoughts and yeah. ideas and we're going to have a conversation. You, you brought some fantastic show and tell with you today. We'll be tweeting out some pictures of both your art in its uh, final installation at UBC, but then also the maquette that you've brought today and mm-hmm. hearing about all kinds of projects. So anybody who's curious about uh, Merdad and his work, please feel free to follow along um, at the tweets that we're going to send out at EssentialConv. That's spelled Essence, T-I-A-L-C-O-N-V. So Merdad... Um, where does this story begin for you? How's that for an opening question? <laughs> well, which, which story? Exactly, <laughs> that's <stories>. also. <laughs> yeah, well, we were just talking about, about childhood and what happens to creativity because we were uh-huh. talking about how um, some people get bored and that, that the three of us don't really understand it uh, <laughs> because we're not, we're, I mean, I remember when I was a kid saying, I'm, I'm bored. Uh, but but we were talking about how sometimes it gets shut down in childhood, yeah. and and you were talking about what what it was that was trying to come out of you. What was trying to come out of you when you were a child that you now embrace fully mm. as an adult? Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, you know in life, as you get older, you encounter different situations and different things happen in your life, and you start to realize and look back and see what happened to you because I used to be a very shy person when I was a, a teenager. Or, used to be. Or, I used to be. I'm not anymore. <laughs> so that's something, a breakthrough uh, that came out of me because uh, as a child, um, I think it was a cultural thing that we had. Uh, our parents were very strict with uh, schooling and, uh, you know, Asians and Middle Easterns are, are like that. Uh, so I grew up in a family that parents wanted us just 24-7 study. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want, want us to do sports or arts or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I was one of those children growing up. So I had to subside all my feelings. or I, always, I was fascinated with arts and I loved drawings. And I used to draw on walls and get <laughs> punished for it sometimes. My mom <laughs> would find, find out. and Or my mom used to have a... Uh, hairdressing salon uh, it was kind of like a home business so I used to go in hiding to her salon and draw on her uh, her um, she had these uh, uh, little models uh, <laughs> my kids and uh, so I used to draw on them do makeup and I was like I don't know seven years old or something and then my mom would come and see what happened who did this so I, I didn't dare to say it was me but I was caught one, di- yeah. one well, time if, and, and if punished. you have artistry in your soul 
<laughs> everything is a surface that needs decoration, right? Got, yeah, everything. Everything yeah, is it, a potential place to put self-expression. Exactly. So that's how I felt <laughs> as a child. And I used to feel guilty because I didn't know I was mm. doing the right thing. As a child, you you don't make the right judgment. Well, so in that moment, you're following a, a, an inner compulsion, yeah, right? Which yeah. felt like a positive, but all the feedback you were receiving from the external was to punish you. No, no, no. And to shut you down. <laughs> yeah. So that must have made for some internal conflict, I would imagine. Absolutely, yeah. As, as a child, I, I was always dealing with, you know, I wanted to be out there. I wanted to explore myself and show, you know, I used to love to dance, but I had to hide that, you know. I loved all kinds of things relating to arts, but mm-hmm. my parents wanted me to study science, to become a doctor or an engineer, or, you know, one of those. So was uh, that how you ended up studying architecture? Because it's yeah. a compromise of Arch- sorts? Yeah, because my parents wanted me to be either a doctor or an engineer, but... But to me, engineering, I mean, I couldn't become a doctor. I couldn't qualify to go to medical school. But uh, the closest thing I could find was architecture that could satisfy my feelings because architecture is, is, is a mixture of science and arts. Mm-hmm. So I used to get good grades in, in science uh, courses because I was accustomed to work hard to get good marks. But truly, if I lived in a more liberal society, probably I would have been an artist from day, the day one. Mm-hmm. So this was something that I struggled when I was maybe in my late teens that I had to go to university. So I picked architecture. And a lot of my friends told me, don't, uh, you know, put some engineering programs as your second or third choices. But I said, no, if I don't get accepted to architecture, I go study English literature or theater or something like that. And my friends and family used to find me crazy. Mm-hmm. But I really, I got accepted into architecture at Miguel and you know so um, it was because of my hard work like Mm. if I wanted to do something I'm very persistent I work hard and I get it and I remember if you want it if I want it and I want it because Mm -hmm. I like the architecture because it had I like the art 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 side of it uh, more than the technical side of it Mm. And, and I was fascinated. You know, there was a time that I wanted to be an architect. I used to watch even architects, when the way they walked and the way they talked, the way they moved their hands. So I was that fascinated with architecture. And the arts of architecture fascinated me the most mm-hmm. because I always liked history. I liked, you know, geography, all the social sciences. I was like a really... I had to be a social scientist. Mm. <laughs> and But I found architecture was that medium or that compromise that I could find uh, to that inner conflict that you mentioned, mm. that architecture probably could satisfy that. Right. Mm. It was a way of legitimately staying within what was considered acceptable. Keeping my parents happy. Right. He's an architect. But there's a but little then, room for expression and yeah. exploration there. Creativity. Yeah. And, and then that's when I started to get my freedom in architecture. I started to explore my art. So we had freehand uh, uh, classes, freehand sketching classes uh, when I was studying architecture. And that's where I started to explore my drawings. And one of my teachers, uh, actually, when he saw my drawings, uh, and I didn't know too much techniques about paintings or drawings, uh, so... But you had to do renderings for yeah. architecture, so right? So that was the training. That was yeah. the door that opened. Exactly. So they, they give you those courses because they want to uh, kind of train your brain with your hands and then do rendering and presentation. There were three mm-hmm. courses. 
but there where I found myself and and my teacher it was a great teacher his name was uh, uh, Gentile Tondino I still remember his what name what a wonderful name and it's beautiful name I was always fascinated with this man his name and everything and yeah, but but he gave me an advice because I wanted to take courses how to learn the technique of painting he told me he said don't take any courses don't read anything about paintings stay like this Just I like you it. the way you are stay pure uh, because the moment you get into the academic part of the painting or arts, you you start to get influenced. So right. that mm. was a that was a really a, a piece of advice that I took up until now. Uh, I never took any painting courses, uh, so I kept that side of me still kind of. Uh, You're allowed to have fresh. your pure because it's meant to be creation from inspiration. So as soon as you ask someone, well, how am I supposed to do it? Then you're not following that inner voice. You know, you're referring to painting, but I'm thinking this applies to broader because I I know I encountered something similar for myself, but within the realm of counseling, I was going to go for a master's in counseling when I was young, uh, made choices that took me overseas instead of getting back into school and following the academic course I'd been planning. But that didn't stop what was naturally within me. I am and always have been the person people come Creative. to to talk to and to get counseling, etc. So I was still engaging in that process over another decade. And when I finally got to the point of actually going back to school, I realized I actually have opinions on this now. I have a trial and error to back up these these opinions. And so now education is going to, instead of form my brain, it's going to be something I can engage in critical discussion with and still do some learning but I have something to add to that discussion as well so this is an interesting concept I think that we you know it sort of makes you wonder well how much education is actually formation rather than letting loose well universities used to be people coming together to share and discuss and develop their area of focus Mm -hmm. and it was so it was very much done along the lines of what we do now with PhDs right Mm -hmm. where people they they have a group that they work within and there's a lot of discussion Um, and then we started to refine it more and and put more structure into how we were learning and that that structure has changed some of the way in which we learn and develop I think Absolutely, Certainly at yeah. the at the um, the degree level, n- not the masters or the not not the postgraduate level, but the yeah. And I think uh, what the problem with the institutions like universities are, uh, they uh, kind of suppress your creativity because they're so structured and regimented. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it brings certain yeah. things to it. It brings a yeah, rigor to it, yeah, but then absolutely. it also. It, it blankets and stifles certain things. So for those of you who are just joining us, um, this, you're listening to Essential Conversations with Luca and Rebecca. And our guest today is Merdad Rabar. And we're, we're talking about um, creativity and uh, how we knit it into our lives. We were talking a little earlier about your shirt today. <laughs> and I should also say your shoes and your pants because you have <laughs> bright green shoes on today and bright green pants. <laughs> And a green car, and and your shirt is a very interesting and unusual shirt. And you were telling me about shirts. 
Um, and your sewing machine. Tell us some more about shirts and your sewing machine and, <laughs> and design. Yeah, that's uh, that's another side of me. I'm never, when I shop, I'm never happy what's out there. So uh, I'm always looking for something different and unique. Sometimes I have to get something and it's pretty standard, but I'll go home and I bought a sewing machine. So I alter my clothes that I pick up from stores. And So wh- when you alter them, what do you do to them? Well, sometimes, you know, change the buttons or you make them sometimes I have to bring them to the uh, alteration uh, shops uh, if they have to be done properly so uh, make them probably tighter or looser or you know depends like I've got a collection of um, uh, jackets like I picked up from different uh, second hand stores sometimes I pay like $20, $25, $20, $25, but today if you ask me for $10,000, I won't sell them to you. Mm-hmm. It's like that kind. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I pick them up, I modify them, and I have a collection of like military uh, jackets from different countries, like from France. So in a way, you are your own art then, because your your dress, your mode of dress is a statement, a creative statement. Kind of, like uh, still, you know, because that side of me, that architectural side of me and educated side of me, it's, you know, I try to be within the norms of the society uh, and that discipline still exists within me but at the same time within that kind of restriction or the discipline, I try to be free. So it's a conflict, like constant uh, conflict that I have within myself in my we were talking about that earlier too so and I think people have to find their real selves and explore it because the problem is people don't they abide by the society the rules and the codes too much that their creative uh, creativities are gone most yeah, of the and time. I wonder sometimes if that isn't a dance that we engage in through our whole lives a little more creativity than a little a little more structure and then a little more creativity and a little more structure and, and then a lot of creativity and then a little more structure that's why because dance is something dance. great because yeah. you it gives you that uh, field and that platform that you can do both it's true you can't just go do you know a dance that doesn't make sense you know you have to follow rhythm your body has to be balanced and has certain discipline and dance is so when example. did you dance your way out of architecture uh, I think it happened gradually because uh, I moved from Montreal to Vancouver uh, some 20 years ago and in the dream of uh, because I studied affordable housing in my master's degree when I got a master's degree and I was always interested in housing and you know the social justice and everybody has the right to have a home or even own a home because I'm also believing entrepreneurship yeah. uh, so uh, when I finished my master's degree um, f- uh, from McGill Uh, I didn't stay there even one uh, month. So I moved to Vancouver because I knew there was housing problem here. So I had to study the housing issues here. And I... See, that's an unusual statement in itself. You know there's a housing problem in Vancouver, so I came here. I know that's what what you were studying. And you say it like it's like, well, of course, doesn't everybody (laughs) see it that way? Sorry for the interruption. <laughs> so, so it is. It is like that's my life. Like when I think about something, I do it. I don't. So what talk made you so impassioned about housing? 
Uh, Did you always know that you were passionate about housing? Yes, yes. When I was studying architecture, I mean, there's two sides of architecture. There's a, this magazine architecture that mm -hmm. the students get in, drowned into it, and they want to have a style, and they want to have their signature, and I was never into that. I always thought an architecture or an architect should be a facilitator for the society, for a homeowner. Yeah. So the mindset was different. I, I never wanted to have my signature. You know, it, that wasn't the intent. But unfortunately, majority of architects or artists are that way. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think that's a training that they get also at school. Uh, so I came out of that. I mean, you know, the more I worked, the more I interacted in the real society, I said, oh, this is not what I wanted to do. You know, this is all about money and business and profit. And, and the society uh, drives you in a different way, uh, especially when I came to Vancouver, because unfortunately here I started to realize everybody's here for profit. Uh, nobody really appreciates arts. I mean, you have great ideas, uh, you run the numbers down, and then they say, yeah, it's a great idea, but it's not profitable, yeah. let's say. Yeah. So uh, then you go on and on, you try and try, and then you see the projects don't happen. And again, as I s said it earlier, I, I go do it myself. I find the money, I invest myself, I buy a little house, I renovate it, and I want to do that idea because I want to prove it to people. Mm. And I've done that in architecture in Vancouver. Uh, I introduced the first freehold row houses in, in BC back in the year 2007 and eight, mm -hmm. uh, because that type of housing is very common in the East, in Montreal and Toronto. So I. Uh, and I did my thesis on that, the uh, privacy in row houses of Montreal. So I, I thought this is a great model, a housing model for BC or Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, so I worked maybe three, four years, tried to persuade the developers. I met all the developers. I took their numbers. I called them, you know, big developers like Boza, I don't know, um, Polygon. And I met with their principals mm -hmm. uh, to sell this idea of row housing. They loved the idea and everything. At the end of the day, they called me They go, you know what? The profit margin is not where we would take this project, to, but it's a great idea. Mm -hmm. So I did a few uh, try like that. And uh, finally, I gathered some money and I bought some properties in Port Coquitlam because mm -hmm. the properties were very cheap there. Mm -hmm. Put them together. It took me a few years to rezone them. And then uh, I successfully rezoned them. They were, they were the first freehold row houses in BC. Um, so, then so for people who don't understand what that means, what what is a freehold row house? Uh, well, the, when uh, you know the difference between townhouses and row houses, and the row housing is uh, probably the started. It has a history in Europe, in from England, and um, so what it is, the houses are in rows attached horizontally, yes. not yes. vertically, yes. and then they're separated with a fire wall not fire separation because that's a technical term fire mm -hmm. separation exists in apartments between the two ad uh, adjacent apartments mm -hmm. and um, or townhouses those are mm -hmm. fire separation but mm -hmm. firewall it has to be more substantial they yeah. usually use blocks or bricks to separate so which is to retard the fire from one unit to, to another so they don't have another great fire of london that's right that so that's wait it wiped yeah. the whole neighborhood mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. The, so that's the, the row houses. And also you own your property. It's mm -hmm. not like townhouses that you share parking, you share certain amenities. Uh, mm -hmm. Freehold row houses, I call them, um, 
single family attached housing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they're really single family. So you mm-hmm. have your yard, mm-hmm. you can plant whatever you want, you, you can paint your door the color you want. You don't have to be part of a strata. Exactly. So yeah. that was the idea. It was hard to sell in Vancouver because yeah. culturally people couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. said, what's the difference between this and a townhouse? I, I'm s- super curious. So when was this that you did this? Uh, 2007, 2008. Okay, so we're dealing <coughs> with, well, it's, it's coming up a while ago Ten now. Ten years ago. Ten. And mm. we're not getting any better in Vancouver. Uh, I've been noticing a lot of news stories coming out that have been specifically talking about the, we have a mandate on the government level for creating more social housing, or accessible housing, I think is the phrasing they're using. And it's not manifesting. It's not coming through. And again, I think it's around the same things that, that you're saying you were encountering, which is not enough profit, not worth our while. Have you noticed a shift or have you noticed it getting worse? And what, what is your opinion on this since you've been engaged with this for quite a while? Uh, it has gotten worse, in my opinion. Uh, the problem is politics. Because really, for something like that, you need the three levels of government be involved. I mean, we can't do it by ourselves. And working together. Working together. Uh, having a, a, an appreciation of what it is they're trying to do. Exactly. I mean, not getting in one another's way. Yeah, because yes. you go to council meetings across the city, they talk about affordable housing. You take on as an individual, not as a big developer, you can get a group of people, let's say, share a property and do a project. Those are ideal situations but again you need a networking to get those people because uh, the municipalities the problem is they don't have a system in place or bylaws or uh, zoning in place so it takes longer than usual somebody like myself I had to use my own dough to do that mm-hmm. and then how many times can you do it you know right. I'm not if a rich person if it's only you yeah exactly and then it, a project could take two years instead of two years it takes four years and then it ties it up all your capital. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And it discourages the audience yes. that they're watching you. Yeah. They say, oh, why should I do that? Look right. how long it takes. Because municipalities, mm-hmm. I find they don't help. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave all kinds of proposals to different municipalities, how to participate, how to give break to these new innovative projects, encourage people like mm-hmm. us to when they take on projects like that. But unfortunately, the system is so convoluted. and so Is it a diff- matter of education? I mean, it I, sounds like you're having to do a lot of educating. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to go to council meetings. You have to talk about these things. And, and we're not really talking about education in schools. We're, we're talking about people public. staying staying connected with the changing of the times and mm-hmm. why are things changing and why are things not working, which means you have to be listening yeah. to across the board rather than just watching the money. Yeah. Because the, watching the money is the political side of things, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it's time for one of our songs. And the energy Go right ahead. now feels like first we take Manhattan. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for anybody who's just joined us, we are talking with Murdad Rabar. He is an artist and a designer. And as we were just hearing, has had his hand in um, creation of housing projects, even here in BC, in Vancouver, Whitlam, I guess it was exactly. Um, your first fun- song choice for today is Leonard Cohen's First We Take Manhattan. Would you like to tell us before we listen or af- we, after we listen, why you chose this song? Uh, I think I always admired uh, Leonard Cohen to start with because he's a poet before a songwriter or or a musician. And uh, it relates to my life because as a painter, 
first I write my paintings. I never draw first. I always oh, interesting. So, oh, fascinating. So I, uh, all my paintings, without exceptions, they come from writings, either from my own writings or from poetry somebody's Poetry or writing. prose? It's, I don't call them poetry as a technique, and I'm not that knowledgeable about poetry, and I don't call myself poet, but I write, like, sure. uh, without mm-hmm. any, you know, like white Freeform. writing. Yeah. Yeah. Very free. Okay. And, uh, and uh, that's that's the kind of relationship I find. I mean, he was a poet. He was a great poet. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that specific song, uh, it's all about my dreams also because I'm very ambitious and something I want, I take it. I go after it and I take it. And that song has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Listen to it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's have a listen to this. We will be right back here in the studio with Mirdad in just a few minutes. Don't like your fashion 
fashion business, mister. And I don't like these drugs that keep you thin. I don't like what happened to my sister. First, we take Manhattan. Then we take Berlin. to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. And before we dive back in with our guest, I'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that we are broadcasting from the unceded ancestral territory of the Coquitlam, the Musqueam, the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh. And what that means to me is, as a settler, um, I am a visitor on this land, I am a guest on this land, and to it is important for me to make connection with, build rapport with, build relationship with the people who are the stewards of this land, who've been here for so very long, and whose voices are the ones with the most knowledge. Our guest today is Murdad Rabar, artist and designer. We've been talking about, uh, we were just speaking about housing projects before we went on the break. Uh, but you've brought us some show and tell today. Um, t- I'll tweet out some pictures of both the maquette that you brought, but also the final uh, art piece that you created. And this was something you created for UBC, and I believe it's called When Women Rise. Correct. Would you like to tell us the story of how that came to be and what it means? Uh, yes, this uh, was an idea back in 2012 or 13. I started to... Um, I, I 
always felt for women, I mean, in Canada less, but in other parts of the world, especially where I come from, uh, women are mistreated, suppressed, and um, and uh, and their their rights are taken away from them by, unfortunately, men, because uh, those societies um, ruled by men, basically. As a man, I always felt uh, a responsibility to do something for women, because uh, the problems that women uh, are going through or we're going through, I felt uh, usually men think it's their problem. So you got all these feminist movements and women go on uh, public or raise their voices about their inequality and problems. But then I always uh, felt there is an absence of male voices out there. Um, so that that was the reason. And there are things happened in the past in my life, like when I was in Montreal, there was that massacre happened in University de Montréal. 14 women were gunned down and I was a student back then and it, it really touched me really deeply and um, and because they were engineering students and that man went and gunned them down uh, and then later on other things happened even in my country or in the Middle East or in Asia in, in Pakistan that Malila was it's shut down because no she lack was of gone. stories so, right exactly so I felt you know uh, why do we have to wait for a woman to do something so I, I took 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 the initiative and then I approached UBC actually with a proposal to do a sculpture. I had done a painting of this, uh, this concept of when women rise because I believed in uh, one day when one day women will rise and that will be to the benefit of the humanity. Because I always believed, uh, you know, men and women, I'm not a feminist, I believe in our differences, mm. physiological differences, uh, psychological differences, and I acknowledge that. And I want women and men acknowledge that because a lot of people go around and they say we're equal and you know they take it in a wrong way. Yes, we're e equal about the social rights and all that, but we have to acknowledge our differences, which is not any inferior. I find women are more probably they have more power than men because they have to be a mother, they have to, uh, especially today, they have to work and they have to be a wife. They have to, they have many roles. Men have a easier life, uh, if I might say. And, you know, you go work, you bring money home and, and basically that's it. That's what you do. And uh, today it's getting better. Men are participating in, in uh, housework. But uh, you imagine how much pressure is on women. Um, so anyway, all these things probably over years uh, kind of encouraged me to do that. So I proposed it to UBC after a year uh, reviewing it. They accepted it. Uh, they met with me. They uh, gave me a great site, one of their best probably locations on the campus. And I would encourage you to go see it. Uh, so then we had to go through pros the, the process, the, the process of uh, making it happen. So we had to do fundraising because the university gave this project, 
go ahead, but they told me, go find the money now. <laughs> so that was the, the main challenge. So I spent a few years uh, of uh, trying to raise money, which was a great experience because I hadn't done fundraising before that. So I, I did a few fundraising. I met a lot of young people. I went to high schools. I, I, I got a lot of young men engaged, which uh, that was really my audience. I wanted to go after men, not women. <laughs> Uh, change the culture. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, w- I had a great success. Although, uh, perhaps uh, you know, I needed like in the hundreds the money to build this. Hundreds of uh, thousands. Uh, yeah, yes. hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. or plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I had probably with all the fundraisings I did, I raised maybe fourteen to fifteen thousand dollars, and then I went back to the university. I said, you know guys I'm not a fundraiser that I'm an artist I want to get this thing done <laughs> and and uh, luckily but you had shown that you were serious yes I, yeah. I, I had built this model before mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so I proved it to them this is it so in terms of engineering aspect of it this can work and I proved it to them with my work uh, I had done another sculpture in West Vancouver so so I had a portfolio to present to them that I can do it you know, and uh, and I build houses. This is easy for me. So yeah, yeah. so I kind of persuaded them. Yeah. Uh, finally, they came up with the money. Actually, the UBC uh, they gathered the money from different departments, and and I'm so grateful because mm. but if it wasn't them, uh, I couldn't have done that. I so think they probably just needed to see they how serious the you were yeah. about it. And they so they for for those of you who don't have the opportunity to look at this on Twitter. This is it. It's um, it's five women standing in a circle with their hands raised in the air, holding a a globe that is a wire a wire globe. So it's it's yeah. you can see through it. Like a, it's it's like a grid, like a cage. Yes. Yeah, like a cage. Yeah. And inside the cage is is a golden dove bird. or bird a of dove peace. Or, yeah. Yes. So in the one that we have here in the studio today, it's a little white paper one, but but in the real sculpture, it's gold. <laughs> it's gold, yeah. Yes. I, and you said you chose gold for a reason. Yes. So the concept of this sculpture is the five women representing each continent. So that we okay. have one. So that's one. So it's covering the globe. They're holding the globe and the load of the globe on their shoulders, mm-hmm. so that's the second message, that women are really holding the weight of the globe. Mm-hmm. And then the shape of the globe, uh, actually the material and and what it, it represents, uh, as Rebecca mentioned, it is a cage or a prison. Mm-hmm. And that dove is the woman in that prison still, uh, not freed yet, mm-hmm. uh, and but if you notice, it's getting close to the outer edge. She can see getting out. close. Yeah, she can see <laughs> out. She's not out yet, yeah. and the webs inside, the lines inside, you see, they're structurally holding it together. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it represents like a spider web. She's mm-hmm. still stuck in, there, in the web, stick, stuck in there. But mm-hmm. their hope is, she's c- getting close, and the color uh, originally was supposed to be a white dove. Uh, but having a conversation with a friend, a female friend of mine, um, that she suggested to do it in gold because it's more empowering. So I used not real gold, but I used brass for to make that uh, bird. And when it was polished, when we installed it, you know, when the sun uh, shone on it, it was just glowing. Oh, yeah. Like you, you would mm-hmm. see Sparkles. a ball of 
fire, actually. Mm-hmm. I have a picture, actually. Mm-hmm. So you think there's fire coming out. Yeah. And that was a great idea because yeah. it empowers women more. Yeah. White dove as opposed to be, it's nice and everything, but it's more passive, I find. So it was a great. So I listened to people. You know, it's not like because I wanted white dove, it has to be white dove. So conversations helped me. And uh, How did you come off. up with this idea in the first place? Like, did you did you dream it? Did you Did you see it fully formed? Did you have concept because you said when you start a project you write it yes did you write this first yes uh, actually it, it is from a writing a great uh, persian poet his name is saadi and he uh, he was a like a, a sixth century poet from mm-hmm. I- persia or iran <laughs> and he uh, there is a very interesting phrase uh, that he says us human beings are all the same from the same bone and if one human being has a pain and if the other human beings don't do about it they're not called they shouldn't be called human beings so that intrigued me that poetry so again women are human beings aside from the gender Uh, so they are having where I come from and even here, you know, you go to the probably First Nation they have they're struggling as well and uh, so I read, when I was doing this, uh, I read about Japan. I was so surprised how women are treated. Such a country, probably a top country in the world. It's a universal concept, isn't it? I mean... Uh, Yeah. So then you say, this is a human being, regardless of the gender. Mm -hmm. I, as a human being, got to do something about it. So I did a painting on that. Originally, it was a painting. Mm -hmm. So then uh, paintings, they're always indoor or in somebody's house or in a gallery so it's not accessible so I thought I gotta make something more accessible and free to public they have free access and three dimensional and and three dimensional Mm. in the impact the size the Mm -hmm. massing so Mm. the volume I presented all that to UBC Mm. in writing and then in presentation so they were convinced they said this is the right thing Mm -hmm. to do for the campus Mm -hmm. and uh, and interesting enough, because the campus has a lot of foreign students, international yes. students, yeah. right. so they and go a lot back, of women. and a lot of women, mm-hmm. and they go back, and uh, and this actually this sculpture is placed in a graduate uh, residence area. So mm-hmm. majority of the uh, residents are international students, yes. yeah. uh, which is great because mm-hmm. they can take this home. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. that was something. Very That's true. That's beautiful. Awesome. It feels like it's time for your second song. Okay. It fits, I feel, with your theme of your art. Yes. So we've got Amy Winehouse, Our Day Will Come. Would you like to tell us why you chose this song? Or would you like to wait until after we listen to it? Um, Yeah, uh, um, Amy Winehouse, uh, I always admired her uh, artistry, her music. And and the pain she went through. I mean, this is one of the songs that I like. I mean, when you asked me to choose a song, mm. it was so difficult yeah. because I love all her songs. Yes. And mm. and the time it comes, I think that the message of this song is very encouraging. Mm. Although, you know, she had a very difficult life. Uh, she suffered a lot. But her music is so... Uh, invigorating and so uplifting I find and this is one of those songs I think that sense of uplifting that he gives me every time I listen Mm -hmm. to it Mm -hmm. thank you for that introduction all right we will listen to Amy Winehouse's One Day Will Come and we will rejoin Murdan in the studio in just a few minutes
Welcome back to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. We were just listening to Amy Winehouse, Our Day Will Come, and that was the second song request from our guest, Mirdad Rabar, an artist and designer. We've been talking about his projects, his passion projects that kind of combine both your architecture background, your artistic soul, because that's just your essence. That's that's always been finding its way out, I think, all along. <laughs> um, now, you have mentioned that you paint. Um, why don't we dive a little bit deeper into that? Can you tell us more about your painting and what what is that you are creating through that outlet? Uh. Well, I use painting, I started to do painting as a tool. I use it as a tool for to express myself. And as I said earlier, in, in my childhood, I had a lot of things inside me I wanted to talk about or express, and I couldn't. So I found painting was a, a kind of a sanctuary that I could go to and get things that is inside me or my innermost get it out so I use it more as a tool and as I said a lot of times uh, like majority of my paintings if not all of them are uh, from some sort of writings either mm -hmm. somebody's writing some poets or writers or a book I read uh, and I uh, there is one book a Persian book I read uh, it's called The Blind Owl uh, it's it's uh, very Kafka style of writing it's a contemporary Persian uh, I read it both in English and Persian and I did three paintings out of that for example um, and then uh, other writings of writers and poets so they come out of it and the message really for me is very important for the paintings as I said earlier some of my paintings pro probably are not sellable because people can't just hang them in their living room or dining room uh, but some are you know because I use a lot of colors but uh, I use a lot of animals birds roosters fish uh, deer you know name it you know cows and <laughs> cows. even even with cows I do there's a writing about cows how precious <laughs> this animal is you mm -hmm. know like mm -hmm. there is a writing and then often I superimpose the drawing on the writing so I do it hand you know hand written script I put on the canvas uh, with my own handwriting uh, sometimes in Persian sometimes in English and then I superimpose the drawing over it so the story you can find it on the canvas as well if you oh, pay attention so I do all that so so it's a <clears throat> love of calligraphy also because I I'm fascinated with calligraphy especially Persian calligraphy is very artistic very graphic you know and English calligraphy as well so I always improved my way of writing in both languages. Do the different <coughs> languages bring out different things in you? Yes. Yes, it brings different dimensions and and different cultures obviously. Like I often people ask me who are you or are you Iranians? I I don't feel I'm totally Iranian anymore and I don't feel I'm totally Canadian. But how old I'm were you when you left the Iranian culture? I was culture? 15, yeah. 15, 16, so you've yeah. lived longer out of that he, culture than in it, absolutely. in a way. I mean, uh, that, not that you completely leave it behind because yeah. you bring it in family. But uh, Yeah, I, I yeah. didn't leave it behind in such a way that I was in touch with the literature, with the mm -hmm. writings, you know. I always kept, you know, the arts, the history. You know, I, I, a lot of people come from other countries, they just leave it. You know, they forget mm -hmm. about it. Uh, many people, after all these years, they ask me, "So, oh, you speak Persian well? How come?" You know, but because it's important to me, you know, the identity and who I am. And as I said, you know, um, 
after having this experience, you it's it's a positive thing because you really I don't know if I'm Iranian or I'm Canadian or who I am, which is good in a way. It becomes mm. one plus one equals more than two. I think exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. and I like that in a way. That's yeah. me. That's my it's real. It's part of the diaspora. Of yeah. And it's a Canada pro- for sure. Yeah. yeah. And and I think this is the first generation usually experience that, which is mm-hmm. a great wealth. Mm-hmm. And I and We can I, be somewhat schizophrenic, but we but we also have it this does depth happen. of culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does happen. There are times it happens to you, yeah. but less often now mm-hmm. to me. When I was newer here, per- perhaps I had more experiences that I could share but forgot. So you about. said you've got these all stored in your house. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these paintings I haven't sold, and because I didn't want to sell, maybe. Uh, but they're stored in my house, in my garage. Uh, and uh, but lately, I'm starting. People are encouraging me. Since last time I sold some um, uh, in Toronto, there was an exhibition. Uh, uh, now I'm getting more encouragement from people. They know me that you should start selling yeah. and exposing your work. So I'm doing more. More of uh, still with the same themes based on writings and poetries and and same basis, but I'm doing more um, probably marketable paintings that people can hang it in their living room. Um, Is that a conscious decision to do that, or are you just finding that when you look at them now, they're it, more accessible in a way? Well, I think it was gradual because I did some paintings that. It wasn't intended for market. I did fish and roosters because there were meanings behind the roosters. It's mm. a, for awakening and rooster as, you know, that's symbolic uh, <laughs> meaning for me. And quite literal. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Awakening. We yeah. were talking about uh, not letting you sleep too long, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So so I, I, I use rooster as a symbolic way to wake up people and because mm. I wake up very early morning. So I want people to wake up and get things done, you know? So... <laughs> It, it, it was that kind of message. Mm-hmm. And it, it had a message that poetry is often, you know, there are writings in the background of those roosters. Because they were colorful, I use a lot of colors. People, even like their Persian writings, sometimes English writings, people don't even sometimes pay attention to their writings, but they like the colors and they, they're fascinated with the colors. And that's where probably I started to think about it. They said, wow, maybe I should make them more accessible to public Mm -hmm. then they can get the message they buy a painting and then they're going to start to read those fine prints Mm -hmm. when you also said you have a philosophy about life yes which one (laughs) (laughs) you were were listing them (laughs) you had a list yeah it rolled right off your tongue (laughs) yeah it's uh, i think uh i mean i have a few few philosophies that i really you know i i think uh it leads me to where I am who I am um, I think one major uh, major uh, philosophy or th- what I believe in is if if you want something if uh, you believe in something um, but you have to make sure it's a right thing um, go after it and be persuasive and tenacious and get it done. And I think everybody has uh, now the level of energy varies in people. But I think if people are coached and trained, and we were talking about this briefly earlier, I mean, I do it with my friends in a very uh, kind of informal setting. And and but 
we can share those experiences that we've had in the past mm-hmm. to give that experience to people, share it with them, and and help them to overcome some of those. Inspire uh, them with, yeah. with personal story. Exactly. And they yeah. get, you know, when they get, like, uh, uh, you know, when you're honest to them, when you're, mm-hmm. you're truthful to them, uh, it settles in easily. So that's what you said earlier, that you believe in, in truth and honesty. Yes. And and honesty and truth can never be uh, disguised. We have just a few minutes left. I remember you telling me that you were going to have an exhibition coming up soon. Do you want to tell people about that um, before we get off air? Or yeah, is there uh, anything else you want to invite yeah, people I, to? Yeah, I don't have the date yet okay. because mm-hmm. it didn't work out. Uh, okay. But it's going to be in the next, uh, probably in the next couple of months. But cool. I don't have a date That's yet, a, That's all right. You don't have a date. Yeah. Um, before we do wrap up the show, though, I'm sure, because we ran, we seriously run out of time here. There's so okay. many other yeah. things to dive in with you. <laughs> so if there's anybody out there that was is interesting in tracking you down, and having a further conversation with you, who would you love to hear from and how can they get in touch with you? Well, I have a website, uh, www.merdadrabarartz.com. So they can contact me through via that website and I will get back to them. I'll be very happy to hear, you know, as I said, I'm um, very open and I love conversations. I love interaction and discourse. And hopefully we'll have some new friends out there. Yes, yes. And if people are interested in what you're doing with affordable housing, how do they find out more about that? Uh, they can also find me through that. They can contact me through that website and I'll okay. get back to them. That's, mm-hmm. uh, as I said, it's 50% of my passion is there. Yes. And yes. I'm, I'm very glad to hear from people, mm-hmm. work with people. Mm-hmm. If they have projects that I can help them with, I'll be very happy to, to be there for them. And you're one of our local treasures. So thank you're you. in the Vancouver Absolutely. area. Right? Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Mardad, thank you so much for joining us today. I think we're going to have to sec- set up a second time to have you come in because we just like scratched <laughs> yeah, the surface. Yeah, we scratched the surface. Yeah. That's it. Thank um, you for having me here. So such a pleasure. <laughs> um, Luca, really quickly, is there anything coming up that you want to let people know I have know a reading about? circle tomorrow afternoon here in, in East Vancouver. So if you're interested in that, um, my contact information is coming up at the end of the show. Cool. I still have a few more seats left. Okay, that. excellent. That sounds good. And until next week. I wonder what's around the corner. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halex, Power Sorcerer. And Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahalix.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Happy, 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 happ